Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're coming back to the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we've been. We're just working passage by passage through it. And we come to verses 16 and 18 today. 16, well, 16 through 18. And it's on the subject of fasting. Fasting. Now, what do you know about fasting? When's the last time you heard a, a sermon on fasting? Maybe you're thinking, well, I didn't have breakfast this morning, so am I fasting? As I prepared this sermon, I, I sat next to the health section of the uh, Rancho Cucamonga Library, sat right next to it, and I looked over and I could see at least five health and wellness books with the word fast or fasting in the title. At least five. This is a now popular health trend. You probably have heard of intermittent fasting, right? You may have heard about that. Uh, maybe the keto diet. This is actually a form of fasting to achieve ketosis. Well, the founder and CEO of a company called Bulletproof Coffee, his name's Dave Asprey, he wrote a book called Fast This Way. Okay, it's a diet book called Fast This Way. And here's the subtitle. It's a New York Times bestseller. The subtitle is, Burn Fat, Heal Inflammation, and Eat Like the High-Performing Human You Were Meant to Be. That sounds good, doesn't it? Doesn't that make you want to fast? Like, no, I'm, I'm good. I like my food. I like my food too. I would not have picked this subject if it were just like, hey, pick, pick a subject to preach on on a Sunday, but because it's God's Word and we move passage by passage, we come across the topic. Apparently, there are massive health benefits to fasting, but the question for us is, are there any spiritual benefits, right? Because 1 Timothy 4, Paul says that bodily training is of some value, but godliness is of value in every way. So does fasting contribute to your godliness? Have you thought about that? Does it? If so, how? What are the spiritual benefits of fasting. What do we do with this subject? It's not taught about a lot. It, we, we might not know much about fasting. What do we do with it? A lot of Christians are confused and, and some of them neglect it. Uh, David R. Smith calls it the neglected spiritual discipline, fasting. Donald Whitney in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, he writes this, for some Christians, fasting is as unthinkable and strange as shaving their heads and walking across a coal or coal in the fire pit. It's just strange to us. We don't know much about it. It's a, it's a very misunderstood and misapplied spiritual discipline. There's questions like, what is it? Why do it? Should we fast today? And if so, how? How do we fast so because this subject of fasting is kind of strange to us, or many of us, we, we don't really have a, a good understanding of it and why we should do it, I thought it would be good for us to do something a little different today. We're going to get to the passage and exposit Matthew 6, 16 through 18, but first, I want to do a biblical theology of fasting, okay? And this will help us understand what it is. Let's look through the scriptures, see where people fasted what they did, and how it can be applied potentially to us today. And then once we understand the subject, 
then we can get to the Lord Jesus' teaching and know how to apply it in a God-honoring way. God-pleasing fasting, okay? So I'd like for this first part, just take notes, observe, listen, look at the Scriptures with me, and let's understand what fasting is, okay? Let's start with a definition. That's a good place to start. How do we define fasting? The definition's up there on the screen for you. Here's how I would define it. To abstain from food and drink for the purpose of seeking the Lord. To abstain, to withhold food and drink for the purpose of seeking the Lord. Let's break up that definition a little bit, okay? I'm talking about fasting being about food and drink. Now, some people open the umbrella a little bit more and they broaden that definition to say, well, I'm fasting from social media, right? You maybe have heard that before. I'm, I'm doing a TV fast, okay? I'm not going to be watching the sitcom every night like I've been doing. Or for some of you, maybe I want to do a video game fast, right? Including all these different things that we do in life. But, and that's all good. That would be an appropriate application for maybe a sermon on discipline, a sermon on redeeming the time. But that's not what fasting is in the Bible, okay? Fasting in the Bible is only about, as you read it throughout the scriptures, it's only about abstaining from food and drink, okay? There are not other things that you would abstain from and call it fasting, okay? So we're going we're gonna to stick with what the Bible says about fasting, and it's specifically about abstaining from food and drink, okay? Now, the second part of the definition is very important. Listen, the purpose of fasting is important. And what is its purpose? For seeking the Lord. See, fasting is a Godward exercise. It's not manward. It's not man-centered. It's not for the purpose of weight loss. That might be a nice byproduct of fasting, but it's not the aim. So it's not a, a weight loss campaign. It's not simply a diet. Now, health, exercise, and diet, good things. Things that could, again, fall under the category of discipline. Maybe a, a sermon on the subject of gluttony as it comes up in the Scripture. But again, that's another sermon. And that's another passage. The aim of fasting is always to seek the Lord undistractedly and wholeheartedly. I want you to listen to these passages. You'll notice that fasting is always coupled with prayer. Fasting is always coupled with activity like seeking the Lord or worship. Listen to these verses. Fasting is never alone. It has a purpose. Just listen to these. I don't, I don't think I have these on the screen. But Ezra, okay? Ezra in the Old Testament, before he takes a group back to the land of Canaan, Ezra 8, 21 through 23 says, Then I proclaimed a fast that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. The hand of our God is for good on all who seek Him. You have David when his child was sick in 2 Samuel 12. David therefore sought God on behalf of the child 
and David fasted. See, the two activities are together. The apostles in Acts 13, while they were worshiping the Lord, they fasted. The prophetess Anna in Luke 2.37, she did not depart from the temple worshiping with fasting. See, fasting isn't just an end in and of itself. You don't just fast to fast as a religious duty or a weight loss exercise. There is purpose, and the purpose is Godward. It's to seek God. It is a means to bring your sorrow, your urgent request, your unbridled devotion to God. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. The heart that seeks to worship God. That's the aim. The aim is to seek God in whatever circumstance. So let me ask you, does your fasting look like this? What you call fasting, is it, is it like this definition here? Abstaining from food or drink for the purpose of seeking the Lord, because that's what it is when we see it in Scripture. And we're going to look even further at other examples of people in the Scripture doing it this way. So when do we fast? When should we? Is this something we should be doing weekly, daily, monthly, yearly? When should we fast? Well, we can look to the Scriptures to understand how often we should fast. Now, you should know this. A regular fast was only commanded once by God in the Bible. It was only commanded once by God in the Bible. It was for the people of Israel under the Old Testament law, and they were commanded to fast on the Day of Atonement. Okay, once a year. Day of Atonement. This is described in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 29. And the purpose of the fast, like the other religious rites around that time, was to cleanse oneself and prepare for worship. It still had that God-seeking purpose. Now, all the other fasting that you see in the Bible, all of it, get this, is circumstantial. Okay, It's done either before, during, or after a special event. Okay, it's voluntary and it's circumstantial. It was actually the Pharisees who made this a twice-a-week religious ritual. You remember the Pharisee in Jesus' story in Matthew 18 when he goes into the temple and he brags about how he fasts twice a week. Yeah, that's what the Pharisees did. But God actually never prescribed that kind of fasting in the Bible. It's something that they add as, as a religious exercise. We have a lot of descriptions of fasting, but not as many prescriptions. In other words, it is exemplified more than it is commanded. And we see a lot of people fast, from Old Testament to New. A lot of people. The greats. Moses fasted. David fasted. Daniel, Elijah, Ahab, Esther. In the New Testament, Jesus, our Lord, he fasted. We have the Apostle Paul. These are just to name a few individuals that fasted. And we have groups that fast together. 
So there's individual fasting and corporate fasting. The people of Israel fasted together. David and his men fasted together. The people of Nineveh fasted together. In the New Testament, the apostles fasted together. And if you look at all these events and circumstances, you see a variety of reasons why they fasted. Some fasted in sorrow. Some fasted before a big decision or a big event. Some fasted in the middle of a crisis. Some fasted after the crisis. There are a variety of reasons in the Scripture. Let's just look at a few of them. A few examples of when, when should we fast? When is it appropriate to fast? Well, the first and, and maybe the most obvious one is to fast in sorrow. Fast in sorrow. King David in the Old Testament When him and his men hear of Saul's death. Now mind you, Saul was trying to kill him, wasn't he? Many a times. Trying to kill David. But David hears of Saul's death and what does he do? He fasts in sorrow. Him and his men. Of course, David fasts and weeps while his child is sick. Right? Struck with sickness after his sin with Bathsheba. So it is appropriate to fast in sorrow. Now related to that, but a little bit different... It is appropriate to fast in repentance, sorrow over sin. Okay, Those other fasts were sorrow over circumstances. It is appropriate to fast in sorrow over your sin. This is what we see Nineveh do. The people of Nineveh, after hearing a message of judgment from Jonah, they respond by fasting. Look at what the king says. He says, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn, there's repentance, turn from his evil way and from the violence that's in his hands. When David recounts, sorry not David, Daniel, the prophet Daniel, recounts Israel's sin and the consequences of their exile, he says, I turn my face to the Lord seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Yahweh tells Israel while they're in exile, Joel 2, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with what? Fasting. So it's appropriate in repentance to fast. We see examples of that in Scripture. So, in sorrow, in repentance, and then thirdly, in a crisis. In a crisis. And this could be a national crisis or a personal crisis. We see examples of both in Scripture. In fact, I would say that David's fasting while his child was sick was more of a crisis thing than a sorrow thing. Because, notice, he stops fasting after he learns the child dies. So he's appealing to the Lord in the middle of the crisis, but stops fasting after the tragic loss and the death. But there are national crises that cause people, the people of God to fast. Esther, for example. Esther fasts and she commands all of Israel to fast with her after she hears of Haman's plot to kill the Jews. Jehoshaphat, king of Israel, fasts and he calls all of Judah to fast with him when he hears of the coming battle of the Ammonites. So it is appropriate to fast in a crisis. And then fourthly, and this kind of is a broad category that encompasses a lot of events, but it's appropriate to fast before a big decision 
or a big task. Okay, a big decision or a big task. We could say Moses' fasting for 40 days and 40 nights at Mount Sinai was kind of preparation for him to take the law to the people of Israel. That was a unique fast. We have the Lord Jesus fast for the same length of time, right? Right before he enters into temptation, right, with Satan, or he goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. In the book of Acts, at the birth of the early church, the apostles were seeking the Lord. They're looking for a mission strategy, okay? They've got the whiteboards out, they've got their pens, and they're, you know, looking for a mission strategy. And while they're doing so, they pray and fast, and the Lord answers them in their fasting. In Acts 13, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Similarly, in the next chapter, Acts 14.23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So those are a variety of circumstances in which people fast. So Maybe that helps us to understand when it is appropriate to fast. None of those fasts were regular. None of them were habitual. None of them were this religious exercise. It was always in response in a big circumstance or a big event. Now, to kind of get a full-orbed understanding of fasting, it's really important for us to look at what the Lord said about it. The Lord talked about fasting twice primarily. Okay, In the account of, that we have in front of us, the Sermon on the Mount, but also in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, our Lord, he gets called out for not fasting. Him and his disciples. And he gets called out by John's disciples who do fast. Okay, So they approach Jesus and say, hey, why don't you and your disciples fast? Look at the text, 14, it's up on the screen. Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? What, what's going on, Jesus? Why aren't you religious like we are? Look at Jesus' response. He said, Can the wedding guests mourn? Fasting, an expression of sorrow, mourning. Can they mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then, then they will fast. So Jesus kind of calls for a temporary fasting hiatus, right? A fasting cessation. Who's the bridegroom in this text? Jesus, our Lord. So he says, at that moment, he's present, right? Jesus is in their midst. He's with them. So even think about the purpose of fasting, to seek the Lord. He's with them. He's right there. He's accessible. He's living with his disciples. So it would be inappropriate to fast in that time, because it would be like fasting in front of a bridegroom at his own wedding. It's ridiculous. No expression of mourning there. But there would come a time when they would be fasting again. And when is that? When the bridegroom leaves. Did the Lord leave? Yes, He did. Right? After His death, resurrection, and ascension, He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is with us spiritually, right? We sense His presence. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have access to Him in the throne room. 
in communion with God if we are his children. But he's not here physically. We don't see him. And so let me ask you, is it now appropriate to continue fasting? I'd say that it is. In special circumstances, in circumstances that accord with those described in Scripture. Okay? Let's, let's do some key takeaways. Okay, that was just kind of a broad brush sweeping through the Scriptures, looking at various events. Let's do some key takeaways from this biblical study of fasting. Key takeaways, okay? Fasting should, number one, fasting should always serve a God-seeking purpose. Again, it's not a weight loss campaign. It's not a mechanical Christian exercise that you do out of duty or obligation. It's not a pity party to draw attention to yourself. It is a God-seeking exercise. It needs to be Godward, coupled with worship, coupled with seeking Him through prayer. Secondly, it should always be accompanied by prayer. Always. You never see fasting without prayer. So you might pray without fasting, but you can't fast without prayer. Those two are always coupled together. And Think about the purpose of fasting. To seek God. How in the world are you going to seek God if you don't pray to Him? If you don't cry out from the heart to Him? Talk to Him. So fasting should always include prayer. Be accompanied by prayer. Thirdly, fasting should be voluntary and circumstantial. Unlike the uh, spiritual disciplines of Scripture, the other ones like prayer or Bible reading, fasting is not commanded as a regular habitual exercise for Christians. We don't have commands like fast without ceasing. Or devote yourselves to fasting. We don't see that in the New Testament. Jesus never commands it. The apostles never command it. They don't instruct elders or pastors to command it. So it should be something that individuals or groups decide voluntarily. Right? It's spirit-led. It's not obligatory. It's spirit-led and it's determined by special events or circumstances that accord with those in Scripture. And that, that should be between you and the Lord. Fourthly, it should always be accompanied by righteous living. Always. You don't escape the responsibilities and duties of the Christian life to fast. In other words, don't take up the life of a monk and neglect Christian duties and obligations, responsibilities that you have as a mother. As a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a man of God and a woman of God. Responsibilities that you have to the local church. Some people have taken fasting too far and they make it this kind of spiritual enlightenment exercise. And really what they're doing is they're escaping the responsibilities of the Christian life. That is not the purpose of fasting. The Lord calls out the insincerity of Israel's fast. Says Israel, you've taken this time in Isaiah 58. Israel, you've taken this time to fast to me, but your hearts are far from me because look at all the injustice. Look at all the immorality in Israel. Same thing in Zechariah 7. And in fact, the Lord asks this question of Israel, which I think is a good question for us to ask 
our hearts when we fast, the Lord says, was your fast for me or was it for you? It's a good question, isn't it? What about with any religious activity that you engage in? Any kind of spiritual discipline? Is your Bible reading for me or is it for you? Is your prayer for me or is it for you or for others? Is, is your fasting for me or is it for you? Fasting should always be accompanied by righteous living, obeying God's commands, taking up responsibility in community and in the home. And here's the last one. It should sometimes, that word's important, sometimes, not always, it's not a sure ticket, it's not a guaranteed and a promise that fasting will result in this kind of spiritual enlightenment, greater clarity in the decision, you know, you're, you're fasting before a big decision, option A and option B are in front of you. It is not promised that when you fast, all of a sudden, option B is going to blow up and, you know, have this glory cloud on top of it and you're going to know exactly what you need to do. Just like prayer, it's not a guaranteed formula for spiritual success or to get what you want. The prosperity gospel preachers will say this, fast or pray and the Lord will give you the answer. Sometimes Christians, just like in prayer, the silent response is God saying, you need to wait. You need to wait. It's not that He's not answering your prayer. He's telling you, trust me and wait. Trust me and wait. Wait and see. When is fasting appropriate in today's circumstances? What are some circumstances today that might relate to those that we see described in the Bible? Well, how about before a big decision or ministry task? Like Moses, Jesus, Esther, Ezra, and the apostles, they depended on the Lord. They sought the Lord before a big decision or a ministry task was laid on top of them. Here are some examples. Maybe you have a new job opportunity in front of you. might be appropriate to take a day to fast and pray about it. Maybe you have a potential family move, a big decision that will move the family. Maybe as church members, we have a desire to raise up leaders and plant a church. That might be a good reason to fast. It would be appropriate to fast and pray for clarity, for wisdom, and to express devotion to the Lord. Lord, we're seeking your kingdom first and not our own. So before a big decision or ministry ministry task, maybe it's appropriate to fast during a crisis. During a crisis, either nationally or personally. Did you know there's records of churches and Christians? Groups fasting in 1973 after the Roe v. Wade decision was made. I'd say that is an appropriate response. Maybe devote a day to pray and fast. Maybe your child is sick and there's a, you have an unsure diagnosis. Or maybe you have a child wandering from the faith and you see them. They're in crisis. They're giving into their sin and they're, they're walking away from the Lord. That would be a crisis to where it might be appropriate for you to take a day to seek the Lord and to fast. How about in repentance? Just like Nineveh, just like King Ahab, just like David even. When you are genuinely sorrowful over your sin, it might be appropriate to express that sorrow to God 
through fasting. When you get caught, called out, like those men did, maybe to fast. After a tragedy or a loss, oh, that's almost, all, that's almost natural, isn't it? You don't want to eat. You don't want to drink after tragically losing someone or going through something very difficult. Fasting might be appropriate. Fasting might help you actually take that sorrow and redirect it towards the Lord and not just self-pity, flagellation. And then maybe in certain times, a short period of undistracted devotion to God. The Lord Jesus did this. He fasted in the wilderness, away from people. Moses as well, up on Sinai, away from people, away from distractions. We had this exercise in our training center that I went through. It was called the Prayer Summit, where it was actually a project for us to get away for a day or a half a day and spend all the time in prayer to the Lord. That would have been a great exercise to couple with fasting so that you're removed from the distractions of even food and you can focus solely on the task of seeking God through prayer. So these are maybe some examples of when it is appropriate to fast, Christian. You consider you and the Lord when you might fast and you want to make sure that it's for the right reason and that it's actually fasting as it's described in Scripture. So, there is a biblical description of fasting, okay? And that's how we might apply it today for spiritual benefit. But I'll tell you this, and this will take us to our text. The quickest way, the quickest way for you to lose spiritual benefit in fasting is to do it for the performance for men and not for God. If it is a performance, a religious performance for the praise, the accolades, the rewards of men, then you just lost all spiritual benefit to the exercise. It's a waste. It's worthless. And that's the point that Jesus gets at in our text, Matthew chapter 6. Okay, So look back down at the text, Matthew 6. For the remainder of the time, we'll draw out this principle. It'll be a fast exposition. We're just going to draw this out. Let me give you some chapter context to get you back in the swing of it. In this chapter, Jesus talks about three religious activities. Three religious activities. Giving, praying, and fasting. Now, these can be fruit of a sincere faith, or it can be a facade of fake faith. The religious hypocrite wears these activities like they're a mask on the outside. And it really covers and hides the truth in their heart. People look at them and say, wow, look how godly they are. Look at how spiritual they are. The way they give, the way they pray, and they fast. They must really know God. And Jesus takes the mask off and says, no, they don't. God doesn't hear them. God doesn't acknowledge one word or one action that they do if it's for men. If these religious works are a performance, they get no attention from God. But if they are sincere, he says, for God's eyes only, the Father in the secret place, then there is a better heavenly reward. The summary of this section is Matthew 6, verse 1. Look back at it. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then... 
you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Christian, the motive behind your religion matters. The heart. That's what matters to God. It matters in your giving, your praying, and in your fasting. So look down at the text, Matthew 6.16. And when you fast. Pause. See, the wrong response to this section would be to say something like, well, if that's the case, I'm just not going to give. If that's the case, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to fast because you know what? I don't want the temptation of wanting to please men. No, no, no. Jesus says, when you do this, assuming that you will continue doing this. He doesn't say stop doing this religious activity. He assumes that you'll continue. He says, stop doing it with the wrong motive. That's what Jesus is getting at. So Matthew 6.16, he says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. See, the hypocrites made a scene of it. A scene of it. Walked around looking like prisoner Jean Valjean from Les Mis. Look down, look down. Don't look them in the eye, right? It was a performance for attention. They covered themselves with dust and ashes. They wore their mourning robes. And that's not M-O-R-N. That's M-O-U-R-N. Special robes for mourning and looking sad and glum. And why do they do this? They do this that they may be seen by others. That's their aim. That's their target. That's what they're getting at. They want the attention, the recognition, the honor, the respect, the appreciation. They do it for the pat on the back. Wow, good job. You must be spiritual. That's amazing that you can fast for that long. Look at you. You must be really close to God. You're a super Christian. Be honest. Do you sometimes do religious activities, whether it's reading your Bible, praying, showing up to church, serving in the church? Do you do it for those kind of comments? Do you do it sometimes for the recognition of others, for the head nod, the silent affirmation of fellow believers, elders, neighbors? Sometimes, do you even do religious things to mask, to put up a wall so that people don't see what's really going on on the inside? So you do religious things to hide sin, to hide a struggle, or to hide pain. So that people will look and say, oh, Bob, he's doing fine. He's doing just fine. Look at him. He's faithful. He's serving in the church. He's praying. He's reading his Bible. Man, you catch that guy. He's even fasting sometimes. He must be fine. He must be doing okay. And the reality is, is that Bob is being torn apart by pornography, by an anger problem, by covetousness. Sins that he can easily mask and hide with a religious facade. Is that you? Isn't the aim the same in all of those examples? Your aim is to please men. To not get negative attention, but only positive attention. You pick up your bow of good works and you're aiming at one target and one target only. It is that you would get the recognition of men and you let the arrow fly. You know what Jesus says? Verse 16, he says, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus says, you're going to hit your target. 
you will, get this, get the recognition from men. How's that sound? You know in your heart that that is not a reward. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. Because without God, without His recognition, all earthly rewards are empty. Have you ever seen or ordered something on Amazon or on the internet, whatever, and you saw it on the TV or online, and it looked big? You know what I'm talking about. Man, that looks, that looks big. That looks nice. That's good quality. Look at the color. That's, that thing looks sweet. You order it. You open up your door. The box comes, and you're like, huh, that box is kind of small. You open it up, and you're like, oh, maybe they really compacted the packaging, right? And, and then you build the thing, and you're like, that's like half the size of the picture. That's tiny. And look at it. It's cheap. It's like tinker toys on a tree, like James was saying. You're like, this thing's cheap. This thing is going to last me more than, you know, six months. We're going to break this thing in the first day. And look at the colors off. This was supposed to be, you know, I don't know, electric blue, and it's more like pastel. What is going on, right? It doesn't meet your expectations. That's how earthly rewards work. They look promising. It looks like something you really want. And then you get it. You get that plaque on the wall. You get the head nod from mom or dad. You get the pat on the back from the elder or the brother or the sister. And it just does not feel like what you wanted. It's less. It's empty and you know it. So you get the attention and approval and the accolades, the awards. Faster of the year. Prayer warrior of the year. The most generous man of the year. And Jesus says, but that's all you get. Nothing more. Nothing from heaven. Nothing from your God and Father. Nothing but unfulfilling head nods from people and a cheap plaque on your wall that when you die does not come with you. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't strive for the approval of men. It is not rewarding. The end is tragic. It's actually empty, worthless rewards that don't matter. But here's the contrast. Here's the point Jesus makes and really wants to push us for in our fasting. He says in verse 17, But when you fast, again, assuming that you will continue, when you fast, he says, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So to anoint the head with oil, to wash the face, Jesus is using a hyperbole here. He's exaggerating to make a point. The opposite of covering yourself in ash and wearing your mourning robe, the opposite of looking like you're you know, uh, sad or glum, is to look like you're preparing for the royal ball, the wedding, an important event. That's what you would do. You would anoint your head and wash your face. In fact, it's interesting when, when David was mourning while his child was sick, he sat in sackcloth, he fasted, but when he found out that the child died, you'll see in 2 Samuel, he does exactly this. He anoints his head, he washes his face, he shows up to the table and he eats. Exactly the opposite. Here's the point. 
Jesus says, show no hint to anybody that you're mourning or fasting. Don't let anybody know. In fact, go to the opposite extreme to avoid anybody knowing that you're fasting. Don't walk around like you're miserable and hungry. Don't text ahead to the party saying, just so you know, I'm fasting. You won't see me at the nacho bar. Hashtag spirit-filled, right? Don't try to weave it into conversation so that they naturally find out. How's your diet been lately? You know what I'm doing? Fasting. No, listen. Jesus says the purpose of the fast is to seek God. So no one needs to know except Him. And maybe your doctor, if you have health issues, okay? Consult your doctor. Where's Christiane when you need him? Right? The purpose of the fast is to seek God. So why does anybody else need to know except for Him? He says that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Keep it a secret from men, and it will be no secret to God. Well, that's reassuring. Nobody sees, but He sees. Don't lose focus on that prize. The true reward. The true reward for the Christian is the assurance of the attention, the approval, and the award of your Father. And you're not doing it to seek His approval. You're doing it to please and honor Him out of an attitude of thanksgiving and and grace and love that you have received already from Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an expression of worship. And fasting can be such a helpful exercise maybe that produces immediate rewards as well as future ones. When you fast, think about it. You naturally strip your flesh from all distractions. Cornelius Plantiga. What a name, huh? Cornelius Plantiga writes this, Full stomachs and jaded palates take the edge off of your hunger and thirst for righteousness. They can often spoil the appetite for God. But when you fast, you strip your flesh from those distractions. It tunes your heart to worship. It takes your thoughts to heaven away from this earth, that it intensifies your longing and your petition to be fed with the spiritual food that comes from your Father. And get this, when distractions are removed, when the heart is in tune, when the mind is focused forward, when your emotions are yearning and all you have is your Father's ear, He feeds you. It's like the buffet of heaven opens. And you get all its spiritual benefits. Supernatural strength. Wisdom from God. Assurance of your salvation. Peace. Joy. Love. Comfort in a time of need. All of those things are found in His presence when you seek Him. Fight for privacy with the Father. Fight for it. When you fast, seek Him alone. And these eternal benefits will not be withheld from you. Neither will the treasures that await you in heaven. Fruit of a sincere faith brings such joy and comfort to the Christian's life. 
when you're in the presence of God and you know that you're seeking Him in response to His love for you poured out in Christ, there's such assurance there. Who cares what other people think, what other people say? It's you and Him. You know, right? There's such sweet communion when you know that from the sincerity of your heart, you're seeking Him and Him alone and no one else. Fight for that. Fight for that sincerity in your pursuit of God. Don't be distracted by what other people think or say. Do it for Him and Him alone. That's the point. That's the point. Not only in your fasting, but in your prayer, in your generosity, in your giving, even in your Bible study. To know Him. To walk with Him. To do what He did for you in giving back. And to seek Him without distractions. Why do you do all that? Why why give yourself to these activities? Because Christ gave Himself for you. Oh, the undistracted devotion of Christ. That He would come down in the midst of a, a people that was blaspheming Him, slandering Him, beating Him. He was faithful. He was obedient to the point of death on the cross. And why did He die on the cross? Because He loved you. And for the joy set before Him, He endured the pain so that He would take your sin upon Himself and give you His spotless righteousness. And He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave to offer you new life in Him. And He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's King of kings, Lord of lords. He did all that for you. He continues to be your advocate. He continues to mediate for you. Oh, out of response, can you not but just give up food for a little bit? Can you just give your heart wholeheartedly in prayer? Can you give some, some money back? Well, can you give your time to know Him in His Word? That's the response of a Christian. It's sincere love and devotion back to Christ who gave you everything. And if you don't have that, I encourage you to embrace Christ today. Receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Believe the Gospel message that I just told you. Cling to Him and Him alone. Trust Him. Don't try to earn your way through these religious activities. These are expressions, fruits of faith. But faith and its birth is just clinging to Christ. Trust Him and Him alone for salvation. And all these spiritual benefits will be added to you. Direct your hunger to Christ. Blessed is the one, He said at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, who hungers and thirsts for what? Righteousness. Don't make, a, don't make your religion a performance for the applause of men. You'll get no applause from the Heavenly Father. Make your religion an expression of love and gratitude for an audience of one. God asks you the same question today that He asked the people of Israel in Zechariah 7. Is your fasting for me or is it for you? Is your religion for me or is it for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, we are nothing but tethered to the cross. We bring nothing, no righteousness, no good works, even religious activities. We don't do those things to earn your favor or to earn salvation. 
But we are tethered to the cross. We cling to Christ. And out of an expression of our love for Him, we do those things. Not to again earn more favor or earn a greater salvation, but we do those things out of love for Christ, out of gratitude for Christ, out of joy in Christ. To know Christ more. To have devotion and communion with you, O Father, through Christ. We are nothing but tethered to the cross. Remind us of that daily, Lord. Help us in all our religious activities, whether it's serving in the church, praying, Bible reading, fasting even, that it would be, the motive would be to seek you, O God. And to know you and to love you as you have so loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.